Welcome to this series of teachings about understanding your calling. And what we've done for this is we've dived into the middle of the Gospels to see what Jesus is doing as he is going about his life of teaching and ministering, preaching, healing the sick, casting out demons, and so on. And what we see that Jesus is about is that he's preparing people to be very different to how they once were. Please turn to your neighbor and say this simple truth after me. Jesus changes people. Now, that's the good bit. Now, say this, now carry on saying this to them. And he's going to change you. That might be a relief to the person sitting next to you. I don't know. I hope it is. But give him half a chance and he will change you. And we see Jesus working with just ordinary, average, straightforward people who are not specially qualified, not specially educated, not in any particular position in society, although he can use all of those people as well. But he's happy and quite content to work with ordinary people to make and form them into people who will make a difference in the world. In fact, he's making ordinary people like you and me into world changers. And that's the... Oh, somebody's excited about that. Thank you, Margaret. Yes, thank you. We have one world changer in here today. The rest of you look on and be awesomely inspired and be, be helped and encouraged because the rest of you are called to be world changers as well. Our calling is to be world changers. Now, that might sound incredibly grand to you, or almost grandiose, like you have to become some kind of president or prime minister or something like that. Listen, to become a world changer is something anyone can do. You start with yourself, and you work with Jesus to bring about deep down change, deep inside of you. And as Jesus changes us in our lives, as he heals our hearts and our minds and our past from sin and all the consequences and all the difficulties and all the messes that can get us into. And as he heals us from our turning away from God and living without him, and as he sorts out our lives and the way we live now to include our relationship, our families, our finances, our attitudes, every part of us, that becomes your story. Somebody once said to me, an experience is worth a thousand arguments. You know, people can argue theologically with you and scientifically with you and about all kinds of things. But the one thing you are an expert in above every professor, above every expert in this world is your own life. You are the professor of your own life. You are the apostle of your own life. You are the shepherd of your own life. You are the number one expert when it comes to you. Did you know that? Apart from God, you know more about you than anybody else. Well, maybe apart from your spouse, who probably knows more about you than you do. But anyway, we'll get into that on another day. Um, you are able to go to people with your story and say, Jesus is in the business of changing me, and he can change you too. That's how you change the world. And we've given you the statistic before, but let me remind you how it works. One person 
going and saying that to a thousand people every day, if they could guarantee that all of those thousand people heard and were changed, it would take them 15,000 years to get around the whole world at current population levels. But one person just sharing that with one other person in the space of a year, and then those two people going and doing that the next year, and then those four people going and doing that the next year, can reach over 7 billion people in 33 years. That's how you become a world changer, one by one, just passing on your story to the point where the other person gets it too, and it becomes their story. And it just takes 33 years uh, for the whole world to hear your story through the lives of others. Isn't that amazing? That's how we can all be world changers. And that's what we're called to be. God has not called us to be world consumers or world filler-uppers of the seats or world maintainers. God has called every person on this planet to come to know him through Jesus Christ and be a world changer. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Uh, Okay, it starts with Jesus changing my life, our life. Now, last time I was speaking two weeks ago, we were reading from a passage from Mark chapter 8. We're going to read some of that again now. And then to help you, I'm going to do some interviews on stage or help bring that home to you a bit more. So I'll read you the passage and the story, and then we'll read over some of the verses again. Here we go. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Just be glad I'm not speaking as long as Jesus this morning. You are, may go home hungry, but you won't collapse on the way unless I do go on. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them and also told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present, and after that, he sent them away. He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Don't worry. Over the next couple of weeks, you will be among those who understand wonderfully. We're getting there. Now, let me see if I can help us from last time. I've 
done something amazing and got two people who were actually in the crowd there and brought them here today so that you can get a feel for what was actually going on with Jesus at that time. At no expense spared, and with the invention of a time machine, I have brought two people here. Uh, If you can follow the sound of my voice and come up on stage, perhaps you can help him a bit there. That's right. Here we go. Let me give you your label here. Uh, This one. Come over here with me to this side. Let me just lead you over here. You look like you need it. Here you go. Just hold that up there, okay? Now, we said last time, and the title of our message was Two Kinds of People. Just show that around like you're doing the numbers on some sort of wrestling match between rounds or something like that. There you go. There were two kinds of people, and whenever Jesus turns up, there's always two kinds of people. The crowds and the disciples, the followers and the leaders. Sorry? Oh, right, okay. (laughs) Right. Um, Does anyone remember what we said was the problem with our nation right now. There's me, Roxana. She is to blame for all your problems. Did you know that? We can just sort Roxana out, the nation will be a great place. Well, Rox, come and help us here then. Come on. Hello, has my microphone gone off already? Could I have a, oh, I need a microphone out here to do some wandering around in a minute. Now, if you remember last time, we did this to somebody. I've got that the right way up, probably not, but anyway, I've got the wrong way. Let's try it. There you go. There you go. Airfront special. And we said the problem with our nation is this. We don't see. We don't see. We don't understand. We don't get it. And the problem with the people there in the crowd that day was the same. You see, most of them were crowd. Now, if I can just help you, I'll turn this around. It's probably too small to see from there. 99.7% of the people there were in the crowd. If you can flip yours over as well, because you can see there, Joel, that's great. You see, the 0.3%, the disciples... The leaders, they understood something eventually. They didn't get it straight away either. It took them a while, but they persevered, they pushed through, and they got there. The crowd, the 99.7%, they also heard the same thing, but they didn't get it. And they didn't push through. And so they end up unable to see. And that's why he's in the crowd with his dark glasses and so on. He's there. But he's not seeing it. He's not getting it. Now, here's the next step. Even when the blindfold comes off, the question is, 
what do I see in the mirror? Roxana, what do you see? Hey. <laughs> yes, what do you see? What do you see that God sees in you? A world changer. It's nice when people listen, isn't it? Because you are a world changer, you are, of course, a member of the clergy. Here you go. You are part of the answer. You can sit back down. You're not the problem with the nation, Roxanne. I just want you to know that and not, not really feel it. So you're going away there. John, what do you see when you look in the mirror? A world changer. You are a leader, a member of the clergy. Here you go, John. Do you remember last time I got you to all to put a dog collar on? Let's see if I can find some. Vicky, what do you see? A world changer. Awesome. Here you go. Promotion indeed. George, what do you see in the mirror here? Apart from a handsome man. Apart from a world changer. A world changer. This is good stuff. You're, you're getting the message here. Okay, put your dog collar on. I could go around every one of you and ask you what you see in the mirror, because what we see is important, because what we see is what we'll become. Two kinds of people. The 99.7% who hear it but don't really get it, and the 0.3% who get it. The blindfold comes off. They see who God is, and more than that, what God has called them to be. And that changes everything. Now imagine for a moment with me, imagine that something happens that, if you just pop your sign down there a second, turn it back that way, that this side became the 99.7% and this side became the 0.3%. What kind of world would that be to live in? Imagine if Newcastle did this, that the 0.3% became the 99.7% and the 99.7% were just the 0.3%. What would it be like living here? Could you imagine what it would be like? You wouldn't have to lock your bike up in town. Your children would not say, are we nearly there yet? Newcastle would win more than once like they did yesterday. <laughs> Whatever kind of world would it be? You would go to work on Monday and people would actually be nice to you. Could you imagine that for a moment? Your boss would actually be pleasant and nice with you. I mean, surely that's worth changing the world for, just for that one alone. In fact, your boss would be so nice, he'd say, welcome to work, Andy, and I like you so much. Have a 10% pay rise anyway on me. I mean, would you like to live in a world like that? Well, some of you would. Some of you go to work anyway and know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is incredible. This is what Jesus is doing with his teaching. He is working with that 4,000. He's working with the 5,000 that he's also fed. He's working with as many that will come to him because he believes that through the teaching the vision, the purpose, the ministry, the healing, the setting free in their lives. He believes that through all the things he's doing with them and ultimately the dying for us on a cross, that he can 
reverse the percentages. He can bring in God's way of living so powerfully that our world will be a very different place to live in. Where you don't have to lock up your bike. Where your boss really is nice to you. And your kids. And your spouse. And so on. That your finances change. And your life gets more order to it. And your, even your level of sickness goes down. That's the kind of world Jesus is working for to transform the 0.3% into the 99.7%. He's a world changer. And he wants to create more world changers. And he wants to do that with us today as much as he did it to these two guys in those days. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats and uh, appreciate you coming all this way through time. To uh, He still doesn't see it, does he? But we're, we're working on him. Now, that's our recap on the last time. So today, for a few minutes, you always know, by the way, when a preacher says a few minutes, it's going to be a long time. I'm just warning you of that. Today, for a few minutes in faith, we're going to look at some obstacles to our understanding and how to overcome them. Because in this passage, Jesus has to deal with and address a number of times or a number of obstacles that actually keep the blindfold on, that stop us from understanding. And let me just remind you what he says again, or what the scripture says. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. The disciples have forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Beware, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? There are six things in this passage that Jesus points out as obstacles. So to help you, I'm going to run down all six. Now, I don't normally do lists when I'm preaching, but today I'm going to give you a bit of a list. I'll comment on some of them more than others. My encouragement to you is make a little note on your phone or your notebook somewhere and look through the list again this week. Consider it yourself and think to yourself, is this, are any of these obstacles to me, are they keeping the blindfold on? Are they stopping me from really seeing and understanding my true purpose in God in this life? The first two things in this list are things outside of us that are obstacles to our seeing and understanding. The second four, lots of four things are things inside of us. So here we go. The first one, Jesus calls it this generation. This generation. Number one obstacle to our really getting the blindfold off and really seeing who we are in the mirror is this generation. Now that word generation is a really interesting word in Greek, uh, which the New Testament was written in. It has to do with the people who surround you. It has to do with birth and origin and the circumstances of our birth. And it can be variously translated as race or culture, 
generation, ethnic group, and so on. It's the people that we're surrounded with and who influence us the most. And Jesus is saying, this generation, the people that surround us with the most, whoever that is, our society, our background, our culture, our race, those people are actually some of the biggest obstacles to you actually seeing who God's made you. Now, you'd think it would be the other way around, wouldn't you? You'd think those people would do us the most good, and I suppose in the 99.7% world, they would do. But in this kind of world where we find ourselves now, this generation can really cause us not to see who we are. And the reason for that is simple. This generation, the people around us, our contemporaries, our background, our race, our culture, our origin, can put expectations on us and our behavior that are not God's expectations. And do you know what the worst of it is? In many countries, the church goes along with those expectations and puts a Bible verse to them and actually still puts the wrong expectations on us. They're not God's expectations. Our contemporaries, our background, doesn't naturally see God's purpose for their lives. And if we tune into that, neither will me. Will me, will we? So they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we demand a sign. That tells you something about this generation for a start, doesn't it? They tend to demand things. Not just of you, but of God. And they demand in a wrong way. And Jesus says to them, well, you're not going to get one. You come and ask like that, you're not going to get one. Now, we have a couple of doctors here. And when you go to your doctor's surgery, I take it you don't go in and say, doctor, I demand some penicillin. That's probably not a good way to get your doctor to respond very favorably to you. Is that right, Andy, or something like that? He might give, Andy might give you something else stronger than penicillin, like strychnine or arsenic or something like that. <laughs> What an attitude to go to God and say, I demand a sign. Now, here's the curious thing is, they want a sign that suits them according to their agenda. Now, actually, what happened was this. They've just had a sign. Five sandwiches from Pret-a-Manger have just fed 4,000 people. That is a sign. If you were there... It was a brilliant sign. God can do amazing things with a little. But they weren't there. They weren't in the place where God was working, where God was speaking, where Jesus was teaching and doing great things for God. But they think they can come along afterwards on their own agenda and say, God, give me the sign that I want when I want when it suits me. By the way, can I just praise you all for being in church this morning? You did great to get here. Well done. Um, we cannot demand signs from God like that. The sign was there if you could see it. God reveals himself in the way he wants to. Let me just say something for a moment about 
this generation and what that represents to us. God does not want to control you. God does not want to control you, your choices, or your behavior. He wants to set you so free you can choose the best kind of choice and behavior for him because that truly is the best choice. God can take better care of you than you can take care of yourself. But he never does it by coercion, by pressure, by force, or anything else to control you. He wants you to respond freely out of love and a great heart for him. By contrast, the people of this world do want to control you. Whether they are family or racial background or ethnic background or tradition or politics or religion or anything else. And Jesus says, the control of this generation, the mindsets, the attitudes, that will stop you seeing who you really are in God. You know, in some parts of the world, you have to save face. You cannot be humble. If there's something gone wrong, you have to insist you're right, even when you're not right. Now, I've been to some of those countries and seen it in operation. I tell you, that is a curse. It is not God's way. God is humble. And if you come from a society that insists you save face, you're going to have to deal with that in order to see who God has really made you. In some parts of the world, family demand money from you. They demand you give them money because they are family. That's what you do. Uncles, aunts, parents. Do you know, uh, we were explained that um, we, were, we were in Togo in Africa and the building's half finished by the roadside. And it was explained to us as this is what people do with their money. They buy a brick or two each week and they put it on the new house. And it takes years to build. But if they don't put it there, the rest of the family will demand that money is given to them. Can I tell you that is godless and wrong? If it's your culture, I'm sorry to offend you, but it is not God's way for you. God will bless and prosper you financially. And sure, if your family's in need, you are free to help them out as God so directs you. But there's no pressure, coercion, arm twisting, or forcing you to do it just because they expect it, because that's what we always do. It is this generation, and it will stop you being who you really are. And I could go through with many examples like that from all around the world, including this nation ourselves. See, there are cultural norms here that we don't talk about religion. It's a private matter. That is godless nonsense. This is the most important subject of all to talk about. But you try to convince that to somebody now that's walking through the middle of Newcastle, and they will not agree with you. Does that stop us? Yes, but it shouldn't. There is a cultural norm that will stop us seeing and being the people he has called us to be. And we need to challenge those cultural norms by our attitude, our behavior, our thinking, and what we see in the mirror. This demands courage, and it will make you very uncomfortable, and it will probably upset some folk back home as well if you really live not like this generation. So come to Jesus, find peace with God, and find all kinds of trouble with everybody else. Well, not really, but it can be a bit like that. That's the reality that he says about this life he's called to. 
We can't serve the interests of this generation and God at the same time. It is not possible to do. You can't be a nice person in your college and just let it pass you by. I was told as a teacher trainee that I had no place in the course I was on because of the views I had about bringing up children. That's what they told me when I was a trainee teacher in front of all the other students. With views like yours, you shouldn't even be in this college. Did I let that pass? Of course I did not. In front of the whole class, I said to the pumped-up lecturer who said that to me, I said, well, in, in my opinion, with views like yours, you shouldn't be teaching on this course. So you can leave if you want to. I'm staying. <laughs> they did not throw me off the course, and I still won the prize for teaching that year. So we got there in the end. This generation is not going to coerce, force, repress, control us into being something God has not called us to be. And that goes for cultural things, it goes for racial things, it goes for ethnic things, it goes for our, as wide as you can understand it, your contemporaries. This generation will stop us understanding who God's made us if we let him. The second one is yeast. Yeast speaks to us of an all pervading influence. An all-pervading influence. And this is the influence of religion and tradition. Did you know Jesus said the, the word of God is scripture and cannot be broken, but he also says that tradition neutralizes the power of the word of God in our lives. Tradition is one of our most powerful enemies. We always did it this way, so now it's always got to be this way. We've always done it this way in our family, so why are you doing Christmas different this year? That is control. It really is. I was saying to people in the encounter yesterday, the Lord spoke to me a few years ago, about 10 years ago, and said, Clive, you allow two people to control you in your life. And he wasn't pleased with it. I was shocked. I'm the pastor. I can get control of you. And yes, you do. And these are the two people. And one of them was a family member. And I had to repent before God of letting that control me and missing understanding who I really am in him. Now, the yeast influence spreads. And Jesus warns them not to fall under that influence. And he gives two areas it, it, it spreads from. One of them is the religious area typified or in, the, in our passage by the Pharisees. And the other one is the political or secular area, Herod, the king, the ruler. And Jesus says about both of those guys, he says, watch out for. In the older version, it says, beware. Last year, we were with a pastor who did a brilliant idea for a Bible study. He, he's handed the church on to his son, and he said, before I handed the church on, we did a Bible study together. I went through all the times in the New Testament. He says, beware. That's a great Bible study, isn't it? What a great idea for a Bible study. Look up all the times Jesus says, beware. Well, here's one of them. Beware the influence of popular religion and popular politics. Jesus says, watch out for it, be careful, because you may think it's Christian, you may think it's godly, but actually it will stop you understanding who you really are in God if you sign up for it. Now, you would say, well, of course we don't do that. But 
Are we really influenced? I'd ask you to take this away on your list and think about it this week. See, when I see some of the Facebook posts some of you make, I wonder. You didn't know I looked at you on Facebook, did you? Not much, actually. I closed my account down, so what you're saying up there is safe now. The pastor can't see. But sometimes it worries me when I did have a Facebook account for a year while we were doing our charity raising for, for the Mongol trip, for the Mongolia trip. I did see some of the things you posted. Beware. Beware the influence of the Herodians, or Herod, popular politics, and the Pharisees, popular religion. Beware of that yeast. It gets in everywhere. It's a wrong influence, but it easily seeps into our lives. And we will never be who we are supposed to be, these leaders, if we let this influence creep up on us. The third one is a hard heart. Now, what produces a hard heart in this sense? I'll tell you one thing very simply. It's the past. Our pasts can produce a hard heart in us. It works by reminding us of disappointments, hurts, pains, disillusionment. I once went to our pastor, and I thought I was going to get some sympathy. So in case you think I'm a mean old pastor, I'm going to tell you what life's really like with a real sharp cutting edge of discipleship. I went to the pastor and I said, Pastor, I'm really fed up. And he said, what are you fed up about? I said, well, I'm fed up with the, with the church, this church, in fact. Not a great conversation opener with your pastor, but I, I was foolish enough to say it as a young man. And he said, um, he said well, what do you mean you're fed up? He said, well, I'm disillusioned with the church and I sprout in all this stuff. And after about 20 minutes, he have you done? I said, yeah. Well, he said, I suppose if, you, if, you have to, if you're disillusioned, that means you had illusions in the first place. Oh, yes. I had a wrong idea in the first place, and now I've got to... My wrong ideas have not been met, so I'm disillusioned. So if you are disillusioned, remember, it starts with an illusion that you have to be dissed from. Is that English? Well, it's something like that, anyway. (laughs) Regret. The number of Christians I've met, particularly in my generation... So this is not most of you. But make sure you don't get there. Learn from our mistakes. Remember what Bismarck said, only a fool learns by his own mistakes. I learn by other people's. So learn from my mistake today. Our mistake was this. We got so far and then thought, oh, I haven't made it yet. I haven't been all that God's called me to be. And that produced a kind of a disillusionment. And, oh, I'm not doing this because I tried that before and it didn't work. And I tried that and all I got was worn out. And it produces this sense of disappointment and regret and disillusionment. Now, there's an antidote for that. Stop it. Simple, isn't it? This is what Scripture says, and we, we've referred to this the last time I spoke. Isaiah 43, 18 says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? We're back to seeing and understanding again. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Listen, God is wanting to do a new thing in our generation, in this day. And it won't be the same as before. Things have changed. What he did before Worked well then, but they're not necessarily going to be the same things today. The number of Christians that gaze back on the past and say, if only we could get John Wesley back again. 
Actually, I'm one of those. I'm a fan of John Wesley. If only we could get Spurgeon back preaching again. If only we could have it like it was in the 19-whatever-it-was, his 1904 revival. If only we could do the meetings like we used to do. Listen, that's gone. It's never coming back. Forget the past. Can you understand God wants to do a new thing? And I'll repeat what I said before in some setting. Pastor Caesar uh, from Columbia once said to us in a meeting, he said, you people in Britain, John Wesley's been and gone. Spurgeon's been and gone. The great leaders, William Booth has been and gone. It's you now. You're the John Wesleys. You're the Spurgeons. And maybe he's not going to use you in that way. Maybe he's going to use you in a different way. And I think he is. I think the new thing that God is doing, and I've heard this from so many different parts of the Christian church in the last 20, 30 years, God is going to raise up ordinary men and women as leaders in the nation. Do you know what? They won't, most people won't even know their names. You won't get rich or famous through doing this, but you will get blessed. You will get an eternal reward. You won't get fame or fortune and your name known in lights. Actually, that's a good thing for that not to happen to you. Instead, there'll be many, many, many leaders of many, many, many thousands. And nobody will know who you are, but they'll see that you're a world changer because of the effect of your life in the lives of others as God is changing you and as God is changing them. Because there is no other power on earth to change people like Jesus. There is no other way on earth to change people except through being born again in him. There is no other possibility on earth for the deep down life-changing experience that we all need to turn this world around and make the 0.3 into the 99.7% except Jesus coming into our lives and transforming us from the inside outward and our harping on back on the past and wishing for that to come and trying to reproduce it will actually harden our hearts to the new thing that God is doing now wake up God's doing a new thing in the earth, and it concerns you. He's changing the world through you. It's not through big and famous ministries anymore, good as those are, and I'm sure we'll have a few of them around still, but the big emphasis is on you folk sitting here in front of me now. That's why we got you all to wear a dog collar last time. Say hello to the person next to you and say, hello, vicar, like we did last time. I'm glad you didn't say that in that very English posh voice. Hello, Vicar. We've got to get away from that sort of, hello, a Vicar is someone posh that eats cucumber sandwiches and drinks their tea with their little fingers sticking out. A Vicar is ordinary folk like us. Ordinary folk like you. The fourth thing is spiritual blindness. We've seen that on the stage here. Jesus says... Well, twice he calls the Pharisees blind guides. They don't see, they don't get it, they don't understand how God really works in the world. And let me give you a simple word, or two simple words, to help you understand how God works in the world. The words are mercy and grace. That's what makes this gospel different from everything else out there. It's not duty and requirement and coercion and religion and paying your dues and all that kind of stuff, but do put your money in the offering. It is, it is mercy and grace. Will you say those two words to the person next to you? 
that's what the blind guides couldn't see. They couldn't see that God is actually good to us. They couldn't see that God is actually kind to us. They couldn't see that God is actually gracious and patient with us because it's the gracious, patient kindness of God that gets us to want to change in the first place, deep down inside, that motivates us, that gives us hope and encouragement that we really can be the world changers we need to be. Fifth one is, well, let me just say something to you, by the way. The the reason these guys were blind was because they weren't in the right place at the right time. The number of people I know that have got themselves in a fix because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, we say that like it was just an unfortunate accident. But if we're not in the right place at the right time, we don't see the miracle that God does. Some people say to me, well, I just don't get it. I mean, how do I get to understand this? How do I get to see this stuff? How do I get to, 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 to understand how God works? How do I get to know more of his ways? Well, there's a very simple principle that we teach people. This is deep philosophical truth now. And it's this. Man that run about under shower get wet. You understand the truth in that? People say, how do I get wet spiritually? Well, run about under the shower. And if you run about long enough, even if you're the skinniest person in the world, you will eventually get wet. I mean, it works, doesn't it? If you want to get wet with the things of God, be around where Jesus is moving. Open the Bible. Talk to people Christians. Come to the meetings. Go to the conventions. By the way, we've got a great conference coming next year. And because I've mentioned it now, I know Pastor Wes is going to be really pleased with me. So I'm just, because he's the one that's organizing it. We had a great time last year in our conference. Listen, that's a shower you can run about and get very, very drenched under. How many went to the conference last year and had a great experience there and a great time? It was brilliant. Not enough is the answer to that. Okay, listen, run about under the shower. Be at the cell meeting. Be in the time of prayer. Be wherever God is working and moving because that's where the anointing is. That's where the Spirit's moving. That's where Jesus is doing great stuff. And that's where our spiritual blindness gets lifted. Now, the reason I say this is, as I was preparing this, this is what the Lord said to me. They don't go to the meetings where Jesus is at work through choice, prejudice, unwillingness. And then as I was writing this down, the Lord said, write this down, and laziness. I am really sorry to tell you that this morning. I feel terrible for saying laziness there. But I promise you it's what the Holy Spirit said to me at that point. Laziness, spiritual laziness leads to spiritual blindness. Don't be lazy. Do the work that God has called us to do. Have that time of prayer. Read that Bible. Go to that meeting. Make yourself get there. Push through. That's when you run about in the shower and that's when you really get wet. Number five, spiritual deafness. Not being able to hear the right things. This is a whole other message in itself. We won't do it today. But... What voices are speaking into our lives? What's coming over into our ears and through our ears into our hearts and minds? What influences are coming to us? Jesus says, are your ears so dull they can't hear? See, the wrong stuff coming in is like wax in your ears. Now, I don't know if you ever suffer with wax in your ears. Have you ever had a blocked ear? Like you've been swimming, you get water in your ear. I'm afraid I'm one of those people that suffer with a lot of wax in their ears. And I can remember being um, in another nation and I went in the swimming pool and then I tried to get the water out of my ears. Of course, I made it worse then. 
It's terrible walking around with this kind of feeling that you're underwater all the time. You can't hear, you can't hear the car engine, actually, whether it's turning over or not. People talk to you, and you're trying to, to hear them, but it's muffled. That's what spiritual deafness is like. And what makes us spiritually deaf is the wrong voices shouting in our ear all the time. There are lots of voices shouting out there for our attention. There's another voice which the Bible says is a quiet still whisper. Thank you, it's gone quiet. That's when you hear the voice of God. You've got to have your ears unblocked. All those other voices coming in will stop us hearing. Our friends, popular opinion, there's a whole lot of stuff that can come into our ears. And the end result is we will not understand that we're supposed to be World changes. There are lots of voices telling you, you can't change the world. But there is one voice that says you can. The voice of Jesus himself. Final thing is spiritual forgetfulness. It is easy to be spiritually forgetful. One of my regrets as a young man is not appreciating how much my parents did for me when I was a child. I mean, you take it all for granted. They should feed you and clean up after you and give you pocket money and let you go and do what you want to do. It's only when you have children yourself you realize how much your parents did for you. I remember the first week when our first child was born, my appreciation for my parents went sort of like sky high through the roof and off the end of the scale. I suddenly thought, my goodness, my, my parents did this for me. My mother changed my diapers and fed me like this. Oh. So easy not to see things. So easy to forget. So easy to forget good things that are done for us. And it's so easy to forget God in life. The Bible says in the Psalms, forget none of his benefits. You know, we forget who God is and how much good stuff he's done us done for us. Everything we have has come from God. The world you live in and enjoy is a great free gift from God. I know the wealth is piled up unequally all over it, but all of it came from God. The air you breathe, the food you're going to eat today and in a moment, I trust you are, is all from God's hand. That's why we say grace before meals. We recognize we didn't do this, God did this. I mean, put an offering in every week. We're recognizing God gives us the ability to make wealth, the Bible says. We're giving some of it back. We're sowing it into spreading this good news message. But we get spiritually forgetful as people. The children of Israel were like this. They, they have this incredible experience with God. They see him open the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. He closes it, deals with all their enemies. He does this incredible miracle of delivering them out of slavery. And let me just say something to you about that. Do you realize how big a deliverance that was? The population of the world was probably less than 100 million. And 2 million of those, that's 2% of the world God led through the Red Sea. That's one person in every 50. Think about that. One of you would have seen it in this block, and one of you would have seen it in this block, and one of you would have seen it in this block, and one of you over here would have seen and experienced that. 
I bet if you'd seen it, you'd be telling everybody around you. Do you know what I saw last week? The sea opened and we walked through on dry land. It's incredible. Everybody would hear about that. That would be a world-changing story for a start. Well, Moses had only been up the mountain a few days and they forgot all about that and started to worship some other god. They forgot God at a key moment. It's so ingrained in our fallen human nature to forget God. And it's something we have to work on not to do. Again, as I was preparing this, I heard the voice of God speak to me, and he said this, in in like an impression inside, how easily we forget God in a moment of weakness or temptation. How easily we forget God in a moment of weakness or temptation. When Potiphar came on to Joseph, he didn't forget God. He said, I can't do this. Potiphar's wife, sorry. When she tried to seduce him, he said, I can't do this. God means more to me than this situation. Can't do this. He didn't forget God. But God wants to challenge us today, I believe, how easily we forget God in a moment of weakness or temptation. These six things combine to cause us not to understand. If these six things are pressing on our lives, they will put the shutters up and put the blindfold on. When we look in the mirror, we will struggle to see who we are. This generation, the influence of the people around us and our connections culturally and ethnically and so on, the yeast of popular religion and popular politics that gets everywhere, our own hard heart because we remember the past and we're trying to get back there rather than go forward into the future, into a brand new thing that God is doing. Spiritual blindness. Don't see. We don't get ourselves in the place where we get wet under the shower. Spiritual deafness, because the wrong voices are drowning out the still, quiet voice of Jesus. Spiritual forgetfulness, where we forget God in key moments in life, key decisions, key times. All of those things will stop us being a world changer. But you know what? They don't have to. They don't have to if we are willing to do two things. Take the blindfold off and choose to see and dare to believe that this is what God has for me. I'm here to be a world changer. That's the first thing. The second thing is help each other. That's why we're together as a family in the Lord. We can help each other, especially in those moments when we're tempted to forget God. We can stand with each other and strengthen each other at the vital points. We can encourage each other and challenge each other in a good way, not in an officious way, but in a helpful way to be the best and bring out the best in each other. We can choose, we can help one another. So I'm going to offer you an opportunity to do a little bit of that right now. I'm going to start with a simple statement. Here's the statement. Today, I'm becoming a world changer in the Lord Jesus. I know you're not finished work. None of us are. We're on a journey. But we can step into that journey in a whole new way today. We can take this on board in a whole new way today. Have a look around you a moment. You are sitting next to world changers here. It's like President Trump's on one side and... President Putin's on the other. Except the person next to you is nicer than both of those. (laughs) You're sitting with important people. 
powerful people, people who can make a difference wherever they are, whether it's on the bus and the queue uh, in the shop, wherever it is, a word from you can be more world-changing than either of those two presidents or any other presidents and prime ministers that are in the world today. I like being with powerful, important people because I'm with you today. You are world changers. Here is a statement. Today I'm becoming a world changer in the Lord Jesus. You understand this doesn't come from us. It's only because we know him and we're filled with his life and his spirit and his uh, power inside us. Anybody brave enough to say this out loud to me, to you, to each other, together? That's it. I'm becoming a world changer in the Lord Jesus. Oh, that's good. Can we do it one more time, please? I felt good hearing that one. Today, I am becoming a world changer in the Lord Jesus. Now, I wanted to make a very direct challenge to you all today. The sort of challenge that gets a pastor into trouble. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get the person next to you to do it instead. Then you, can, then you can blame them. Please turn to the person next to you and say, go and be that world changer. Okay? So you can blame them now if you get into trouble this week. It wasn't me that said it to you. Let's stand and pray, shall we? Father, we thank you today that the world can actually change. Our families can change, our streets, our city can change, even our nation can change, and our whole world can change. It starts with ordinary people like us realizing that we're called to be and to extend to swell the 0.3%. That's who we're called to be, disciples, leaders, and world changers. And Lord, I want to speak those two words over us today, world changers. Lord, we say, come into our lives and change our own world. Change us more than anybody else, because then we have the credibility and the right to say to others, Jesus is changing me, and he can change you as well. He can make of you what he's always called you to be, because he's doing that for me. Lord, I pray today for the spirit, the revelation, the open eyes and open hearted and open earsness of a world changer to come on us now in Jesus' name. Lord, I speak again those two words of every person here that wants to receive them, that wants to see it, that wants to grasp a hold of it, that wants to believe it and wants to do it. World changer in the name of Jesus. World changer. In the name of Jesus, go and be the world changers God has called you to be. Live in his name, love in his name, minister in his name, lay hands on the sick in his name, prophesy in his name, preach in his name, speak in his name, do good deeds in his name, win souls for Christ in his name, grow the work of God in his name, because that's the world changers God has called us to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.